0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 21. This morning we're getting closer and closer to finishing our study through this great uh, historical account of the early church in the early decades, 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ. and Seeing the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem into the world of the Gentiles, making disciples of all nations just as Jesus has said. But today, uh, we're, we're going to begin it in 21. We actually need to try to cover two chapters today. <laughs> That's not ideal. Uh, the reason being, uh, in order to finish it on time, before graduation into the semester gets here, we have, on, just so you know, the reason we're, we're going to miss a week, because on April the 19th, Sunday the April 19th, I, you need to be here that day, because Dr. David Dockery, who is the president of Trinity International uh, University in Chicago area, was president of Union University in Tennessee, he's been here before. He's going to do a one-day conference this hour, the next hour in the evening uh, on how we got our Bible. And it's, uh, it's going to be really good about, about how, how we came to possess this Bible that we study week in and week out. But that's April 19th, so we'll miss a week of Acts that week. That week. So we need to double up somewhere. And today is that day. And so, in a minute, we'll read 21, and I'll just try to summarize 22 before we dive into it. You know that in the past uh, several chapters, specifically since chapter 13, the focus has been on Paul and his missionary journeys. He's three of those. He's in his third, and God's given him great success, intermingled with a lot of hardship and persecution. In the most recent chapters, uh, he has very openly indicated that he knows that the road for him is going to lead back to Jerusalem uh, where he would likely be arrested, mistreated, and that would commence basically basically for him the final chapter of the commission that God had given him. So we come to chapter 21 and those things begin to come to pass because here's where he finally arrives again at Jerusalem. Uh, as we read the chapter together in just a minute, I'm going to go ahead and lay it out for you ahead of time. You'll notice when we read chapter 21 that there are basically three different and distinct episodes in it. Uh, first, if just overview, in verses 1 to 16, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's not there yet. He's he's on a on the way back visiting a few towns on the way. And as he's on his way back, he has uh, brothers and sisters in Christ urging him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Uh, that's that's significant, one thing we're going to think about. Then in verse, verses 17 through 26, you read about Paul, once he's there in Jerusalem, some urging Paul, some, some Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, urging Paul to take an Old Testament Nazarite vow in an effort to placate some uh, Jewish Christians there in the church in Jerusalem who kind of had a bone to pick with with Paul. They they had and and he's told that, that we'll read it in a minute that there are many thousands of Jews who have believed but who were still zealous for the law and they've heard some things about Paul and what he has said about the law that they didn't like. So and then finally in in 21 from 27 to the end to basically end of the chapter almost is is the account of Paul being arrested in the temple. Then chapter 22 is going to be his his speech mostly, and his defense against the hostile crowd. So, before we go any further, we should probably read at least part of this text, chapter twenty-one. Uh, so let's begin in verse one of of chapter twenty-one. And when we had parted, notice the we there that Luke wrote uh, the book of Acts, and so you presume when you see these we's that that Luke was present there with Paul at this part of his journey. So he's writing from first-hand account at this part. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes, from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come sight of Cyprus, the island, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And and when our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied, accompanied us until we were outside the city. Kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. for the name of the Lord Jesus, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, "Let the will of the Lord be done." After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of menason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them. He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. This, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment, and this will sound familiar to Acts chapter 15, that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and, offering the present, off, and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man! who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has has defiled this holy place, which wasn't true, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were Seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran, note that, down to them. And when they saw the tribune of the sol- and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. When, then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing some another and as he cannot learn the facts because of the uproar he he ordered him to be brought into the barracks and when he came into uh, to the steps he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of, of the people followed crying out away with him as paul was about to was to be brought into the barracks he said to the tribune may i say something to you he said do you know greek are you and the tribune said are you not the egyptian Then, who recently stirred up a revolt uh, and led 4,000 men of the assassins to the wilderness. So they thought Paul was totally somebody else. Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And there, uh, when, when there was a great hush, he addressed the people in the Hebrew language saying and in what you have in chapter 22 is uh basically paul giving them his testimony how he formerly lived before christ as a pharisee how he met christ um and that's essentially um they say away with him kill him still that's that's chapter 22 let's pray father this is um this is what we just read is your holy inspired inerrant sufficient clear authoritative and necessary word we confess it week by week so that we never forget it. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us minds to understand the truth that we see here. Give us eyes to see it in the first place. Give us minds to understand it, hearts to embrace and love it, wills to obey whatever it calls us to do. We love you, Lord. Please give us ears to hear. and Give me the help that I need to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a lot going on here. Uh, and, and because there's a lot, it's just wildly different, the different things that are going on. I suppose there's a lot of things you could take away from it. I suppose Luke's main point in, in writing this chapter is simply to, to describe the events that led up to Paul's arrest in the temple and maybe describe his faithfulness to the Lord's calling through hardship or describe the determination of the Jews to, to, to put him to death and describe the Lord's faithfulness to Paul in all this. What I want us to do in this chapter and the next is to sort of keep our eyes on Paul um, and the several things that he encountered. Like, look, look at each of these different episodes from the vantage point of Paul, what, he's, what he is encountering as he meets up the, with these different things um, and as he's on his way and then in Jerusalem. But some of the things that he encounters here, believe it or not, are still things that we encounter as we seek to be faithful to the Lord, as we seek to be obedient to his word. Um, I'm going to give you the four points that I'm going to get out of here and uh this, you know I, I think you'll get more out of these points because they alliterate so well. I'm going to tell you they um, I probably spent too much time on it to be honest with you. Uh but in the first episode I'm really proud of these alliterating points by the way. Uh in the in the in the first episode in chapter 21 uh Paul encountered misplaced counsel. That's that's verses 1 through 16 those that he met along the way saying don't go to Jerusalem don't go which he clearly had already been told by the Lord you're going you're gonna go so he was he was receiving some some bad advice here and as we keep reading he makes it to Jerusalem and he met with the believers there and I think through them it's a it's an odd story about this Nazarite vow but I think what it demonstrates from them at least one thing you can get out of it is they had misdirected concern like they were urging Paul to do something that may have been good, this Nazarite vow, but maybe not the best thing, right? And it didn't change the outcome either way, okay? In the last episode of the chapter, when he's arrested in the, in the temple, in this uproar of the crowd, uh, the crowd wouldn't realize this, but uh, there was conflict for sure, but I think Paul may have understood something that they didn't, that it was mis- miscalculated conflict. Um, and I, I, this is one of the neatest parts of this chapter. I'll tell you why I think it was miscalculated. Chapter 22 will focus on Paul's defense to the Jews, and Paul will point out that they had a misaligned commitment. They, he loved that. Look at that. Um, that, that. As he put it, they clearly had a zeal for God, but it wasn't in line with God's fullest revelation in Christ Jesus. So let me, let me try to explain what more what, what I mean by each of these. So first of all, in verses 1 to 16 in chapter 21, we, let's think about misplaced counsel. Or if I hadn't been so uh, concerned with alliteration, not the best advice. All right? So this part of chapter 21, these early verses, are actually much debated among New Testament scholars and commentators uh, often, the discussion and the debate revolve around these prophecies mentioned, and uh, they are tricky passages for sure. The, the first curious statement here is what we read in verse 4. Look there again. Verse 4 says, um, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, To the careful reader of Acts, or if we weren't like, had a week between every chapter that we're looking at it. In other words, if we had just read this right after we read chapter 20, it might sound a little curious that through the Spirit, they were telling him not to go because it was just in the last chapter that Paul had said in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, he told the Ephesian elders, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit right? Not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city of imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul has already been told and convinced by the Holy Spirit of God that he is going to Jerusalem and not knowing exactly what would happen there, but assuredly imprisonment and afflictions. So going back to 21.4, it wouldn't make sense it wouldn't make sense for, in, in, in chapter 20, Paul is saying, I'm constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit is testifying to me. I'm going. And then come here, and through the Spirit, they're telling him not to go. Like, it wouldn't make sense for, uh, the Spirit doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth, is what I'm trying to say. So, for this reason, I think that when it says in verse 4, that through the Spirit, they were, being, they were telling him not to go, it most likely means that the Holy Spirit was testifying to them, just like he had to Paul and some others, that hardships and imprisonment and afflictions await him in Jerusalem. And it was their interpretation. The conclusion they draw drew from that is don't go. Don't go. Do you know what will happen to you when you get there? Don't go. I don't, I, I don't think this is just a wild guess either. Because I think it's confirmed. Uh by the context, just a few verses later, when another prophet comes on the scene named Agabus. Uh, He comes forward, and we first met Agabus, you may not remember, way back in chapter 11. Way back in chapter 11, he had prophesied that a famine would come, and Luke actually says in chapter 11 that that came to pass. It came to pass in the days of Emperor Claudius. So, Agabus had already been confirmed as a genuine prophet of God. He foretold a famine that actually came about. And he comes here again in chapter 21 and he not only in a, in a style very much like the Old Testament prophets, he not only speaks a prophetic word to Paul, he acts it out. That's very much Old Testament style. You might remember Ezekiel laying on his side for a long time or or Isaiah actually walked around buck naked for 3 years prophesying. Um, of how their enemies would overtake them and strip them of everything. If you don't believe me, just look it up. Agabus, here in, 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 in verse 11, comes up to Paul, and he takes Paul's belt and ties up his hands and feet with it and prophesies that in that fashion, the Jews will, will deliver him over to the Gentiles. Now You can read later in chapter 28, the last chapter of Acts, when after the fact, Paul was... Uh, in trial, about to stand trial before Caesar that Paul says it basically happened just as Agabus said. So this is a genuine prophecy from God, just as much an inspired prophecy as you find in the Old Testament. But notice what we see in verse 12. They said, when we heard this, when we heard what Agabus said, which was very much in line with what the Spirit had told Paul, when we heard this, we and the people urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So they take Agabus's Uh, God-inspired prophecy of Paul's upcoming dangers in Jerusalem that agree precisely with what the Spirit had already told Paul himself, and they interpret that as, don't go. Don't go, just like in verse 4. So it wasn't the Spirit saying, don't go. The Spirit's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. The Spirit is saying, go, and you're going to have danger there. Go, though. They interpreted it wrongly telling him not to go. So when Paul says in verse 13, I'm going, <laughs> uh, that he's determined to go anyway, interestingly, they say in verse 14, uh, let the will of the Lord be done. So it's like, it's like they knew the difference. They knew the difference. It was, not, it was simply their desire for Paul not to go. Um, it was very possible that it nevertheless was God's will for him to go, even though they didn't want him to. So Paul had a clear direction from the Lord, But on the way, he he encounters some misplaced counsel from very well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, telling him not to do the very thing that the Lord told him to do. Now, that is something we still face. You may may have faced. You may face in the near future. Who knows? Um, we have the inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary scriptures. Before us, the whole counsel of God, sufficient for every good work to thoroughly equip us, and we have the Holy Spirit of God within our hearts and and among each other to give us wisdom and counsel, to guide us and direct us just as he directed Paul here. We know the will of God, and he calls us to be faithful to it, and as we are seeking to be obedient to the clear, revealed will of God, we may have well-meaning friends that Lead us to second-guess that. Or lead us to, to, to not do it all together. It, it may be going on a mission trip. It may be going uh, on a, on, to do missions longer term. It may be going to a hard place in the world. It may be serving in some role in the church you've never served before. It could be any way in which you are trying to take your walk with Christ more seriously. There will very often be misplaced counsel or advice trying to talk you out of it. So stay close to the Lord daily in his word and in prayer and in obedience so that you can discern for yourself his confirming voice over those around you. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So listen to the counsel around you. I'm not saying don't receive counsel. But don't take every piece of advice you get as a word from the Lord. Test it by the scriptures. Test it by the scriptures, which is the very word of God himself. Sometimes you have to be obedient to the Lord despite a lot of good-willed, well-meaning advice. Paul had to. But as we keep moving through the chapter, um, we see that Paul also encountered misdirected concern. So that's verses 17 to 26. So Paul comes into Jerusalem, finally. He's welcomed by the church there. Uh, but he is immediately confronted with a rumor that's been going around um, among many of the Jews who had come to saving faith in Jesus. In verse 21, for example, um, they come to him with basically say, you know, people are saying, it's like that. If anybody comes to you and ever says, people are saying, ignore that. Like, it could be one person. Um, but makes you think like it's a bunch of people. But Paul was the, the, the people were saying that Paul was telling people to forget about Moses, forget about the law, forget the customs, and uh, so they came up with a plan for him to try to follow, and in an effort to keep the peace. So there were four men in the church who had taken an Old Testament purification vow. They say you can read about if you don't know what that is, you can read about it in Numbers chapter six. Numbers chapter 6, that Old Testament vow. And they told Paul, take the vow with them and pay their expenses if they have any. So he agrees to do that. He does it. But as it turns out, that is how he eventually went into the temple there in Jerusalem, which gave the, the Jews the opportunity to see him, recognize him, arrest him, seize him. Now, because... Because some of the, those in the church were overly concerned, I think, with what other people were saying. I, this may just be my take on it. I don't know. But this is, this is how it strikes me. Because some of the, those in the church were overly concerned with what some of the others were saying, they pressured Paul to take an unnecessary, it's not a bad action, but it's unnecessary. There's nothing in the, in the New Covenant Scriptures that say, take this old covenant vow this purification, right, for seven days, they, 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 they pressured Paul to take an unnecessary action that eventually put his life in danger anyway, which it was all along. They had a misdirected concern. Rather than helping... Rather, when they, when they received Paul and they heard all that Paul, uh, God had done through Paul among the Gentiles, how I many Gentiles had come to faith, instead of... They did receive that gladly. Instead of saying, do that here, Right? Go preach Christ here just like you preach Christ there. And Paul had said that was his mission back in chapter 20, verse 24, which was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. They were more concerned with keeping a discontent and very vocal segment of the church happy. Now, Paul knew before he ever stepped in Jerusalem that he would be arrested and persecuted there, right? And as it turned out, the Lord used that misdirected concern to accomplish his purpose for Paul, but that doesn't justify their actions. In urging Paul to take that vow just to please some vocal complainers in the church, uh, that just wasn't a, a proper motivation. In any case, Paul was going to be arrested. But in this case, had they not urged Paul to take this vow that had eventually led to his arrest, Paul might have chosen to go to the temple for this reason, just to preach Christ openly and not to take a vow. In that case, he could have gone down preaching the gospel In actual fact, he went down taking an unnecessary vow just to keep some vocal complainers in the church happy. But when we have misdirected concern, we often pit the good against the best, right? This wasn't on Paul. Paul told the Romans, right, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He's just doing that here. That's why he agreed to do it, right? This was on some in the church in Jerusalem who, who were prioritizing a good thing over the best thing. Um so, so far, that, so that's, that's, that's what I want to say about misdirected concern. It, it, just keep your priorities straight, and you see, you can, you'll, you can discern between the good and the best. So far, the obstacles that Paul dealt with were from believers, both in Caesarea and Jerusalem, uh, with their misplaced counsel, misdirected concern. Now the focus turns to unbelievers and his dealings with them, and there in Jerusalem he faced two other obstacles, the first of those being conflict, but fortunately for Paul it was miscalculated conflict, once they had seized him in the temple. This is how I would summarize the rest of this chapter, is mi- miscalculated conflict. In ver- beginning in verse 27, where it says that some Jews from Asia stirred up the whole crowd in the temple, and they laid hands on Paul. And down in verse 30, we read that all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And They began to beat Paul and wanted to kill him. So the conflict part there is not hard to understand. Uproar, they want to kill Paul. Let me explain to you where I think the miscalculation comes in. By the time all this happened, okay, we're in the third missionary journey. So we are in late 50s, maybe 60 A.D., okay? By the time that Paul was on this part of his third missionary journey, it's my view that he had already written the letter to the Romans, he had already written that letter and sent it to the church in Rome that we're studying on Sunday mornings in, uh, in the main worship service. And in most of Paul's letters, you know, toward the end of the letter, the part that we typically skim because it's just uh, like personal requests and say hey to so-and-so, that part, uh, we shouldn't skip over those. It's, it's in that part. I want you to notice something near the end of Romans with me for a second. I will hold your place here and flip over to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. This is the letter that Paul had already written and sent when all this stuff was happening to him in Jerusalem. Okay? Now look at what Paul says in verses 30 and 31 of Romans 15. He says, I appeal to you brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So in other words, pray for me. What do you want to pray? Two things. One, 31. One, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers of Judea. Two, that my service in Jerus- for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Okay, so basically, he says in that passage, what's he asking them to do? Pray for him. And what's he, what's, what's he asking them to pray for? Pray for my time in Jerusalem. He says Judea, but he's talking about Jerusalem, which is in Judea. So he's, he's saying, pray for me when I'm in Jerusalem. And he says two specific things. One, that he would be delivered from the unbelievers there, that they wouldn't kill him. And two, that he would be welcomed by the church in Jerusalem. That's the two things they're praying for. That I would be delivered from the unbelievers, welcomed by the church in Jerusalem. Okay? So Paul had already asked them to be praying for what he's experiencing here in in Acts 21. I think that was the big miscalculation. There's no way they could have known that. But it was a big miscalculation of those uh, causing the conflict. You can turn back to Acts 21 now. the the Jews started the conflict thinking they were in the right. They didn't realize that God wasn't on their side at all, right? God was on Paul's side, and there was a church in Rome praying for this very moment, right? And we go back to Acts 21, and we've already seen God answer the second request, which was that the church in Jerusalem would welcome us, right? And you see that even though there were some complainers in the church, on the whole he was well received at first. Look again at verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. So that's the second request. Answered. The church received him gladly. And it says in verse 20, they glorified God. That's one answered prayer. But what about the first prayer? That we would be delivered from the unbelievers. Deliver, pray that I would be delivered from the unbelievers there in Jerusalem. Because okay? right now, they got a hold of him. They're beating him. They want to kill him. So how is this going to happen? I think this one is an, that, that prayer request is answered here in this chapter as well. I want you to see it. As they mobbed Paul and were beating him and trying to kill him, notice carefully verses 31 and 32. It says, And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So, word came. What was their response? They ran. They ran to Jerusalem. When they saw the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. It's unusual for Romans to really care that much about what's going on among among the Jews in Jerusalem. They just didn't care that much. It's unusual that they ran. (laughs) Because a church 1,300 miles away in Rome was praying, some Roman soldiers felt it necessary to go tell his superiors about the trouble in Jerusalem. And because a church 1,300 miles away in Rome was praying, these soldiers didn't walk. They ran to see what was going on. And Paul was delivered from his attackers by being taken away by the authorities. Going to jail was deliverance. But actually, the trouble uh, wasn't all over yet. Humor me for a second and flip over to just uh, one page to chapter 23. Paul, here in chapter 23, we'll study this next week. Um, In 23, he's still in jail. And uh, look at verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. You wonder when they ate and drank again. Uh, now, it's that, that's their oath. that, that they're let's, let's, let's make an oath. Let's kill Paul. Let's figure out a way. They're going to ambush him in prison. But look what happens. Verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister (laughs) heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Of all the people who could overhear their plot, Paul's nephew heard it. Paul's nephew was there, right? And he heard it and went and told Paul. Paul was able to tell the authorities. And because a church 1,300 miles away in Rome was praying, those authorities actually believed Paul and did something about it. They easily could have dismissed what Paul was saying as paranoia or something like that, but they believed Paul and they did something about it. And did they do do something about it? Yes. Look at what they provided Paul in answer to their prayers in verses 23 and 24. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night, also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to that effect. Holy cow. I mean, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. Ain't nobody touching Paul, right? That's why I say I wonder when they ate and drank again because their plot didn't work. Paul had had to face conflict at the hand of the Jews, but it was quite miscalculated uh, because God was on Paul's side and the people were praying and God is a God who answers prayer. Let me just say a quick word though about what he faces in chapter 22. I hate that we don't have time to look uh, at this carefully, but it is essentially Paul being given the, the opportunity as he's being carried away to say something to the Jewish crowd. He shares his, his testimony, but what he faces in them as he shares is misaligned commitment what do I mean by that? Notice what he says about those Jews in verse 3. He says in verse 3, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to, to, uh, to this day. Being zealous for God, As all of you are this day. So he acknowledges there's a zeal in them. A zeal that they perceive is a zeal for God. But remember, was it really? Remember what the Jewish complaint about Paul was in chapter 21. What it was in chapter 21, verse 21, on the screen. Just remember that their complaint about Paul was that he was telling Jews not to walk according to the law. Not according to their customs. Their customs, it says zeal for traditions, customs and traditions that Christ brought to an end. I take from that, as much as those Jews believed they were zealous for God, they were actually zealous for their customs, zealous for their traditions. And Paul would confess that about himself in Galatians chapter 1. He said he had zeal for his traditions beyond many of his own age, right? Paul, and it blinded them. Paul shared the same gospel the same testimony with them as he had in countless gentile cities up to that point and even in places in those gentile cities where he was stoned in lystra or or chased down in thessalonica even in those cities there were pockets of those who believed and repented and believed even in athens when it said some laughed at him some didn't really care and said, we'll hear you again on this matter. Some believed, right? But as he he comes here, and the same gospel is presented to them, they cried out in verse 22, these supposedly zealous for God, away with such a fellow from the earth, not just from here, but from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Paul had already written romans at this point remember and in chapter 9 and in chapter 10 he says this was one of the deepest sorrows of his life to see his people rejecting christ and rejecting the gospel but all i want to say and leave you with here is their rejection here as violent and vehement as it was was not due to an inadequate testimony was not due to an inadequate gospel right it was To a people blinded by their own misaligned commitments and their own hardness of heart for that reason. But it wouldn't slow Paul down from sharing the gospel, presumably with Caesar himself by the end of the book. And it shouldn't discourage us or slow us down either. All right, let's pray.